Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. This is a special fan show, and we've got a special guest. But first, I want to offer you guys a little hunting update here on my season. There it was. And we've got a special guest, Jeremy Cavaretta. So Jeremy hopped in, and there's a link in the show notes for every show you can go in and you can submit an, an, an audition to be featured on an episode. And Jeremy, Jeremy, I think you're our fourth fan show. So congratulations. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> so Jeremy, you are dialing in today from upstate New York, right? Yes, sir. Where specifically? Albany, right outside Albany. Albany. Okay. Okay. And you've got the deer behind you. Aren't They aren't small, man. Uh, good size for, for New York. I got a couple from Ohio on wall over there. You can't see. And I have a lot of public land in Ohio too. What's but these are all New York right here. Okay. You know, I, I hear people talk about mountain bucks in New York and uh, tracking deer. Do you ever do any of that kind of hunting? Yes. Yes. Especially uh, late season, like muzzleloader. That's okay. my favorite thing to do. Yeah, Th that's something we definitely Once need there's to, snow on the ground. We need to talk more about because us Midwestern boys don't know. I mean, we'll track a deer that we shot, but we don't do a whole lot of skulking around after deer. So so maybe we'll have to have you on another time to talk about that. But um, so you have an interesting story. You reached out to us and um, you wanted to share kind of your perspectives because you believe that hunting has saved your life. So before we get into how that, how that, how, how you feel like hunting can save other people's lives, how it saved your life. Uh, let's talk about your background a little bit. Now you are, um, you're a veteran, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. I'm a combat veteran. I spent five years of my career, uh, overseas, not even in the United States. So hmm. I've been all over the place. And, uh, the only time I would come home, I try and get Thanksgiving because not a lot of people took Thanksgiving. They all take Christmas, oh, sure, New Year's to go home. I take Thanksgiving and get the last few days of bow season, the first few days Heck of gun yeah. season. And I try to do that every year. And I never had to compete with a lot of people to get Thanksgiving off. Well, thank you for your service. So what specifically did you do in the military? I was, uh, I was law enforcement, okay. um, but I did a lot of non-compliant boardings. Um, what does that mean? A lot of special details. Um, so if there's merchant ships coming out of, um, coming across the med uh, and they would go to Turkey or Syria. Syria had so many nautical miles that the U S it was international waters. Even though the whole med is international waters. Syria has this small section that isn't, mm. and they would bring ship these boats up, fishing boats, whatever, and go straight there. So they don't get boarded. And that's where we're looking for the back then the deck of cards of oh, people yeah. or the yeah, terrorists. Yeah. Okay, so we're looking for them. So we get news that a boat or a vessel was heading up that way, and we'd intercept it and uh, board it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I'm sure was, they're not happy. If there was anybody, on, no, and if there was anybody on it um, of value, uh, they would get detained. 
um, we we take them. Um, they all get zip tied. We put them up on the front of the ship. Mm-hmm. We find a room for interviewing, another room for uh, after the interviews, and a room for before because you don't want to contaminate. So once yeah. they get interviewed, they go to a room where they weren't interviewed, so they don't talk to everybody. Uh, we have interpreters come on. People come on, take a you know camera crew taking pictures, of all the passports taking Jeez. pictures of them, take all their hard drives, their cell phones. That gets sent off the ship, and um, the FBI or CIA, whoever was there, would plug devices in and download all the information on it, and then we bring it back, and that's what we did. <clears throat> so I, I guess you have to stay tied off to that ship while you're doing a lot of this work, because what happened if these people are not persons of interest? I guess you got to release them back onto the boat. Right. So, so what we do is we come up in an 11 meter rib boat. I don't know if you ever seen Swick has them. Um, it's that green boat with the, with the flotations on it. They're jet powered. So we, we drive up on the side of the ship with that. We have a big telescoping pole uh-huh. and uh, a caving ladder, which is a, like yeah. that wire ladder. And it hooks over the lifeline of that ship. I climb up it. I take tie down straps, tie that hook down, the Pelican hook. So don't pop off. Okay. And then a team will come up. And uh, I'd be the first one up there and I'm holding cover and then the next guy and the next guy. And then once we get up there, we already have our orders where we're going to go. The boarding officer is the last one on. He tells us what to do. And then we go. And did, then we'd have to climb back down that ladder, get back you, in the ship did you see, or like, on the, the boat. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm digging deep on this just because I'm fascinated. Did, yeah. Was there ever any resistance to you guys boarding? Did you have to dodge any bullets trying to get oh. up? Never had to dodge bullets, but um, inside there we'll be going – into their birthing living areas. Uh-huh. And uh, there'd been situations um, where they're resistant. Yeah. I can't imagine they're real happy about you being <laughs> there, <laughs> especially if right, they got something right. to hide. Yeah. And then my last two years, I was in Guantanamo Bay. Wow. I was on the, exer- the extraction team and I was there with all the high profile terrorists from the USS cold to nine 11 and had to deal with them for a couple of years. Unreal. It's crazy because it, that, uh, that era is passing away. Like, you know, you know, I, I think I was in my twenties when, well, yeah, twenties when the the a lot of the stuff in the Middle East started happening. We started bringing people over, and there was a, a lot of concern about how nice things work on Tanamo Bay for for prisoners and how we were taking care of them and everything. And, yeah. Um, there's this current generation. They may may only hear about Guantanamo Bay in history books and and even then they may not even understand what that whole thing was about right they did, um national geographic came over did a special um i went over i was one of the security guys to help escort them and they came on to our camp that we we're at uh-huh. which is the the real high risk camp with all the top profile guys they came on there and they're walking around their cameras and they're very they're very liberal at first Mm-hmm. Um, cause they, they were Obama's team. That's right. When Obama got uh, elected so he's going to shut it down yeah. and he's, he was going to, that was one of his big things going to shut to. down Guantanamo Bay yeah. and he never came. Uh, he set a team and they came and at first they were, uh, you know, like I said, real liberal. And at the time they came, they were for like 40 days so far, they, they were covering themselves head to toe in their feces. And uh, wiping it on a wall, and they and they got to see that, and their thoughts changed when they left. I could Good. tell. Um, they're yeah. like, I remember the mask talking to me in the hall, like this happened all the time. I'm like, every day for the last forty days, you know. 
Yeah. So yeah, story. so they got to see, the, and that's probably why it, it never closed. Ah. They realized it because where are these people going to go? That's the problem. Mm -hmm. So we can't send them to their country. Uh, their country are are executing them, right? So now we can't do that. So what countries are going to take them? So that was the problem why there was this loophole with them. Uh, where are they going to go? Mm -hmm. Their country don't want them, or they're going to, they say, send them, we'll execute them. So they had to figure out where they're going to go. And they had to find countries. There were a bunch of countries that, believe it or not, were, were taking them. Mm. And the US, United States was going to be one of them. Uh, they were going to take a bunch of the, the Uyghur community, and that got stopped. But they were on their way to come here. Unreal. So, um, yeah. so tell me about this past season. How was that for you? Uh, it was good. It was good. I was real busy this year. Um, I went to Ohio to actually a kid I was in the military with. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't seen him since 2000. I think it was like 2003. Last time I physically wow. saw him other than social media. And uh, I went down there and hunted with him for a few days. Okay. A lot of big bucks. They were coming just at, just at dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were some big ones. So it was I wasn't shooting anything unless it was a, a giant there. Sure. And then uh, I left there. I went to Pennsylvania. My buddies were on a hunt there with, with Steve Shirk. Ever hear Shirk? Mm -hmm. uh, so I was with him. I hunted three days there. I passed a, passed some bucks. Nothing I wanted to shoot. Yeah. Um, I could have shot deer. Uh, same thing. The weather was it was really warm. And I mm -hmm. came back to New York and I ended up killing a, one of the nice uh, big eight-pointers. He dressed out around 195. Good, good side deer, you know, 120s, 125. I mean, okay. that's decent for around here. They really well, don't it, get it's, you know, it's funny. I mean, you led with the weight, and that's just that's a New England thing. Like, the weight is so yeah. important. One of our deer cast writers, Aaron Merrill, uh, it's funny. Whenever she kills something, I always ask how much it weighed because people here in the Midwest rarely care about unless it's just a tank of a deer, right? Uh, it's usually, you know, they're talking, they're talking antler scores. Um, so, so you have, you've lived a life, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, Thank and, you. Yes. And, and you've seen some highs and you've seen some lows. Why don't you take us through some of the, the tougher stuff that you've endured and then maybe make the connection that bow hunting has had through that. Okay. Um, so 2000, end of 2007, well, 2017 season, um, I take off two weeks for hunting mm -hmm. and, I, my, so my schedule is I wake up in the morning. I wake up around 3.30. I'm at the gym at 5. Get out the gym. Leave the gym. Go right to work. Work all day. Get out of work. Pick up my kids. Coach softball, soccer, jujitsu, boxing, whatever I'm coaching. Then come home. Do whatever I got to do. Help with homework, showers. By the time I go to bed, it's like 11 o'clock at night. Ugh. I'm waking up at 3.30, 4 o'clock again the next day. So I'm always on the go. And I... And I take off for, for uh, hunting season 2000. Yes, 2017. Okay. Um, I'm in my tree stand. It was the second day I was sitting in my stand and I felt this um, like a palpitation. I thought it was a muscle spasm. So I'm like, what was that? You know, was that, was that my muscle? Because I'm still working out and all the time. You're, you're, you're 45 now. So. Yes. Yes. So this was, yeah. So it was. 2017. Yeah. So I was what, just going to be 40. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, um, I feel this vibration, this little, every once in a while, and that was the first day. And then the second day I felt it again. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, uh, 
I'm feeling this thing. I don't know if it's my heart. I don't know what it is. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I feel fine. Like I'm not winded. I mean, I get EKGs every year, mm -hmm. physical fitness tests, blood work, pa pass everything. Everything's great. So uh, she asked me, she said, are you going to go hunting on like Thursday or something it was? She knew it was going to be raining. I said, well, if it's not raining too bad. Yeah. Uh, I got up at like 3 o'clock, 3.30. I looked, it was pouring. So I went back in the bed. She says, you're not going hunting? I said, no. She goes, good, you got a doctor's appointment. Oh, so, she okay, set it up for okay. you? Okay, not right. So I go to the doctor's. Um, she does the EKG. She's a PA. And uh, she comes in. She says, have you had a heart attack? I'm like, no, I never had a heart attack. She's like, you sure? I go, uh, I'm positive. She goes, well, I'm not an expert reading EKGs, uh, but this looks like there was something. She goes, so I'm going to send you to a specialist tomorrow okay. that reads EKGs, cardiologist. Go to him. He says, what brings you here? Tell him the whole story, what I'm feeling. I said, I got an EKG. She asked me if I had a heart attack, and that's why I'm here. He goes, this EKG? And I look, and I go, yeah. He goes, it's perfect. I was like, huh. Has he listens to my heart. He says, sounds like you got a murmur. You know, around 40 years old, that's very common. So he called another doctor. A murmur is where your valve doesn't close all the way, right? It's a murmur. It's like, um, it's yeah, it's where your valve's worn out. And it's okay. blood. Every time it pumps, a little bit of blood comes out. So uh, another female doctor came, and he's, she's got good ears. She said, listen, she goes, yeah, hey, it sounds like a murmur. And I was just like, huh. I said, can I get a stress test? And uh, he goes, well, what do you do? I said, well, I was military for a long time. Now I'm law enforcement and everything. He goes, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll set you up one. Mm -hmm. So as I'm waiting for that, uh, that next, so it was like a week after. Okay. So that week I go hunting, end up shooting this big deer over here, Ooh. right there. And your heart was I shot that. that. Had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea that I was uh, knocking on uh, death's door. So I shoot that deer. I rattled him in, rattled him in uh, shot him, went in, got a buddy. We tracked him, mm -hmm. and it's actually the picture I sent you. Okay. So we go down there. I find him dead, and he dressed out at 209. He was heavy, and he was in this ditch. And I was able to get a full wheeler all the way down there, but I had to drag him like 75 yards probably. Mm -hmm. And here I am dragging this deer out of this ditch, you know. Yeah. And, and then – a few days later, I go have the alt uh, ultrasound, the, the stress test. So the first thing they do is they lay you down to do ultrasound, check all your arteries, make sure there's no aneurysms. Because okay. they would put people on a treadmill years ago and they would die on yeah. it because it would burst. It's counterproductive. So now they check first. So I'm laying there and they're checking and checking and and they kept, she kept taking pictures and she went and got the doctor and he came in and he's looking, and he's going, take a picture here, take a picture there. And then he kept saying, is it like bicuspid, not bicuspid? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. Yeah. Because <laughs> take, they're taking so long. Then I hear him say, cancel the treadmill. And when he said that, Oof. I was like, oh. So I sit up, and he puts his hand on my shoulder. He says, son, you got the biggest aneurysm I've ever seen. I have no idea how you're alive right now. What? He goes, yeah, he goes, um, do you, can you sleep downstairs? Is there, you know, all this stuff? Cause tomorrow morning you got to go get the dye where they do a catheterization yeah. and they put the dye through your body. Cause that's the only way to actually know how big it is. Okay. I said, yeah, he goes, don't get your blood pressure, go home, oh. stay on the couch, wake up in the morning, come here. And you've got kids. He goes, we operate. Yeah. Like, I got two kids. <laughs> Ugh. 
That's like yeah. with a ticking and he, time and you, bomb in your chest. Yeah, and you operate. They operate at like three. Mine was like an eight, so it's crazy big. Uh, so I go the next morning. They do the dye, and from there, right up to uh, a room. And the next day, I was having open heart surgery. So I had a, a aneurysm in my ascending aortic artery that comes off the top of your heart. That's the one that goes right to your brain. Where if that bursts, you're dead before you hit the ground. Ugh. And if it was a little higher, they said I would have I would have been dead somewhere, either the gym or in the woods, because I, you don't know when you have an aneurysm. But that was so close to the top of my heart that uh-huh. as it the artery got bigger, it opened my heart, it wore my valve out, Jeez. and that's what I was feeling. So I have a mechanical valve. So not only did they replace the aneurysm, okay. they 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 cut it and put a sleeve. I, it wore my valve out. So I have a mechanical valve. I have to take blood thinners uh, every day how in order did, to, to live. Did they tell you how long they think that you were living like that? They're, they don't know. Mm-hmm. They don't know. It okay. could have been forever. It could have been a couple years. It, they don't know if it's stress. It, they, there's a, they really don't know um, what causes it. Okay. Uh, and when I was in there, I had a, some doctor come in. And he's talking to me about what do I do for a career and what I do for activities. And this guy said, you're never going to be able to do any of that again. Rethink your job. Um, you're not going to be able to compete in martial arts anymore. You're not going to wrestle anymore, all this stuff. And then uh, I, after I had my surgery, um, I know I was done. I was, I talked to another surgeon. He said, you sh- if you recover good, you'll be able to do just about everything. So within, so I had surgery. So I went back to work three months later. Like they cut me all the way open, spread everything. It was, it was bad. Um, three months later, I was back to work and back in the gym in another two months. When I first got to the gym, I couldn't do one push up. Couldn't yeah. do one. I had to do them off my knees. Well, I mean, how much within a month was there from them cracking your sternum open like that? Yeah, I still got wires. I can still feel wires Ugh. inside. So they, they just like how you get a deer. It was a, it was the same thing. You rip the sternum up, and they they have this thing that goes because my collarbones hurt for a long time yeah. because they spread this so open it almost pops your collarbones uh. out because your chest is just wide, and then they put this wire in between your each rib okay. to hold it Look in place together. so then it heals. And then, uh, so I go back to the gym and after about a month, I couldn't do a push up. I was, I was putting up 80 pound dumbbells. Fast forward one year, I compete in the North American, gra- the Naga tournament, jujitsu tournament here and a medal in two different divisions. I even went up to 250 plus pound division and took second in that. So th- these people told me I couldn't do anything. So I was like, oh, I'm going to prove them all wrong. <laughs> you said the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so where does that drive come from? What caused you? Cause I think a lot of people would have been like, well, okay, I guess I, I've got to have a new lifestyle now, more sedentary, more laid back. Um, I I've always been like that. Um, if, if everybody say everybody's going to jump off this bridge, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop being like, well, why are they all going there? Why aren't they going this way? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's how I've been all through life, all through sports. Um, in the military, that's why I, I advanced a lot going up through the ranks uh, in the military in my current job with that mentality of always trying to outwork the, the next person. Sure. And I just know that hard work, just like hunting, the, the more work you put in, the, the more success you're going to have. And that's everything in life um, yeah. from everything I've ever done. 
So, <clears throat> so talk to us about the bow hunting aspect then, how that all plays in. Okay, so uh, prior to the, the surgery, I got out in 2009, um, had some PTSD, and I uh, was pretty, pretty messed up. And I grew up hunting since I was five years old, shooting a bow around that age, mm-hmm. you know, walking in the woods with my father, and I grew up in an archer shop. And shooting was something I always, I always loved. And while I was in the military, I didn't do a lot of it. I would come home on leave, shoot a few arrows, and then go out hunting. Sure. Now I'm out 2009. I said, I want to start shooting again. And it was just something about when I'm shooting that arrow, what, it just does something to my mind. All this crazy stuff going on, all the PTSD and all the craziness, it, that, that focus that I would have. Even if it was for five minutes, that was five minutes of nothing bothered me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't thinking about work or jobs or bills or my health or a- anything. Just thinking about that focus and it just put me in a good place. Mm. And I did that every year. And then now I have this heart surgery. Um, but put me, so now I have PTSD. Now I got the stress from this. Um, two little girls. Um it messed me up again, right? Yeah. Started shooting the bow again. And I would do every day. Come home from work. I, I go to the gym. I come back. If there's 10 minutes of light left, I'm shooting off my deck. Mm-hmm. And it would just do something, you know? And I just, I, I just, and I shared it. And I worked at a local archery shop. And I did a lot of lessons with people and get a lot of people involved in hunting. Um, now, fast forward to 2021. Um, <clears throat> lost my dad hmm. um sorry so it was tough you know he was my my best friend just like you guys just like the juries you know my father was we we're in the woods together me him my brother yeah all the time that's all we thought about that was our that was our pastime you know um i never did a drug don't really go to bars mm-hmm. barely drink the hunting was the thing you know that's what Kept me in line, I guess. Your way of life, yeah. Um, Right. So now my dad's gone, shooting a bow again. Hmm. Uh, I remember after he died, February February 2021, and that spring, I picked up the bow. Everything's fine. I go to shoot, and I just break down Hmm. in my backyard. And uh, that year, um, I rattled in a big buck, and I remember he was – he come in and out, kept coming, walking this trail, looking down at me, and he was leaving. And I remember going, I go, just no lie, I go, uh, I go, come on, Dad, send that buck to me. And I'm <laughs> not kidding you, that deer turned, crossed his legs, come right down to me, and I shot him at 35 yards, and he died 10 feet from my tree with Unreal. the, and all I shoot is Rage Extremes, <laughs> and 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 he died right there, and I was just like. It's crazy that I didn't get that deer back. That's that's a big one. He's getting mounted. Okay. And then uh, now fast forward 2022, February. It was five days before my father died. My little brother dies, mm. and uh, it was just as bad. And um, was your little brother? Well, now what, was, like, what was your brother's name? Justin. Justin. Was he Justin. an outdoorsman too? Yep. I was there when he killed his first turkey, mm. his first deer. I, I was, you know, his his big brother. And uh, me and my father, we killed, I mean, hunting every year. Turkey, 
rabbits, pheasant, deer, bear, everything, you know, and now it's just me. And uh, it was tough. So back to shooting my bow. Um, I'm telling you, it's something about it. And I, I, I wish there was, uh, that's one of the questions I have for you guys. I, well, I really want to help people. It helped me. Yeah. You know, I really don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for that. If it wasn't for hunting, if it wasn't for bow, you know, how much can somebody take? You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, the, <clears throat> some people classify archery hunting in general as a hobby or recreation and and we lose sight of <clears throat> within the word recreation it literally means to be recreated to be made new and and I, and I you know even after an unsuc- an unsuccessful hunt I still feel like I'm coming out of the woods a different and better man than I went in you learn something, yes. you get more in touch with the creator. Uh, you see things in, in, in nature that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. And, and even yep. just the sheer focus and the therapy that comes from shooting a bow and that process and the magic of it, there's, there, there's something very therapeutic about that process, I, I think. It is. I, I love it so much that I don't understand how everybody don't do it. That's how much I like it. But really, I sit there and, and I'm hunting and, and the the joys of it and the, the adrenaline rushes and the highs and lows. Like, I don't understand how everybody don't do it. It's To me, it's the best thing, you know, it, that I, other than my family and friends and God and country, I love it. Yeah. Like, I love it. It's my life. You know, it's what, what kind of defines me. Well, and uh, it, it, that's why I feel... So, I wish I, I, I want to help people, especially through archery, because let me tell you, that's the best non-medicated way that I dealt. Some people will go to drugs. Some people will go to alcohol, um, you name it. And it was archery, hunting, and, and going to the gym. If it wasn't for that stuff, I, I, honestly, I don't know if I'd be here right now. The, the stories you hear of people who are dealing with chronic physical pain or chronic emotional pain, PTSD, deep trauma – that end up getting hooked on whatever medication they're prescribed, not intentionally. No one, I don't think very, very few, very many people actually intend to get hooked on those, but some of those are very powerful opioids and very powerful drugs that just have an addictive component to them. And, you know, all of a sudden they find themselves living a completely different life than what they intended. And so you've, you've done something that I, I think is noteworthy and that you found the things that are important that transcend everyday life and clung to those things as opposed to a pharmaceutical. Yes. And I just believe I've been put on this earth to help people. I mean, you just look at my career choices, you know, they all kind of just kind of fell in my lap, something that I landed into and it's always helping people. I love my job. If I could do my job that I do for free mm-hmm. and able to survive, I'd do it because that's how much I, I, I love helping people. And um, now my new thing is I help a lot of people through archery. So, so what would you say to someone that's going through a really a really difficult time? Because I, a lot of us that that are are deer hunters did that because of a dad that took the time and took us out, or an uncle, or a brother or sister, someone in our family, someone that we're very close to, and uh, and you know ultimately the nature of life is we lose people. Uh, how would you? How would you counsel them to, to get through difficult circumstances in life as a hunter? 
Um, it, what I did is I realized that it, it could always be worse. There's always somebody that has it worse. Yeah. And nobody's going to change it for you. You have to be willing to help yourself, uh, love yourself, and, and find something. Find something that that helps you, that puts you in a good place. Mm-hmm. It could be reading a book. It could be jogging, walking. Uh, for me, it's it's archery. And if you're a bow hunter, I mean, you could really help self-medicate yourself through yeah. through the bow and arrow. It's it's a huge thing. Um, and on top of that is exercise. Everybody needs exercise. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Everybody needs it. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's therapeutic. And it, 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 if I, all this stuff I do, I work out all the time. You work out. I, there's people that die, you know, <laughs> I, I bodybuilders die. Yeah. 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 I get, I get that. It's a gamble. But if all this hard work gets me one day extra with my kids, one day it's worth it. Yep. 100%. If all these years of suffering gets me one more day. That's the mentality I have. Um, it's you just got to be positive. You just got to be positive. All the hate out there, all the hate mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah, I don't know why everybody hates on each other. What bows they shoot, what camel they use. You know, especially you guys. I I hear it all the time. That was the pro. They don't know how to hunt. If they came over here, if yeah. they hunted public land, that's a crock. Of, that's crap. <laughs> it's crap because I know for a fact. The Drury's and Lee and Tiffany and all them started on public land and little sections of woods by their house and they killed deer. You know, I I just hate when I hear them just bashing people for no reason, you know, and remember to, if you'll never meet somebody that's bashing you doing better than you. Yeah. That's just how it is. Well, Jeremy, you you and I are in the same unfortunate club having lost our, lost our dads. And I, my dad passed uh, March 16th of uh, 2017. It was actually the same day that Mark and Terry's dad, Ralph, passed away. Um, oh, I'm sorry I, I about actually that. actually texted Mark that day uh, because I, I, my dad, his birthday was in February. He didn't really need anything. He was a huge hunter and everything, and but he, he loved Drury Outdoors. And I texted Mark. I was like, hey, for his birthday, I was like, my dad doesn't need anything, but he would love – to get to talk with you. And, and and this is before I was working full-time at Jury Outdoors. Mark's like, yeah, I'll, I'll call him around 10 o'clock on his birthday. And he did. My dad was just over the moon. So my dad, Mark kind of had a connection there. And, um, and then, so when, when dad passed, I, I texted Mark, just said, Hey, thank you once more. We lost dad today. And Mark's like, wow, Tim, um, uh, my dad passed away today also. And, um, and, and and as an outdoorsman, it just, it it hits you differently because I remember that, that spring that I killed a turkey and I was with, uh, with, with, with my buddy Chance at Devil's Backbone. And the first thing I wanted to do was call him and, and tell him like, Hey, guess what? Send them pictures. And, and they're, they're not there to do that. And it's just, uh, it's really, it's. It's really tough. In fact, I, I wrote a piece called The Tall Oaks in My Dreams over at thethinkingwoodsman.com about going back to a, a cow pasture where we I grew up squirrel hunting. That's what I that's my foray into hunting was my dad taking me squirrel hunting when I was a kid. <laughs> and I got to go back there in twenty nineteen, I think, and hunt squirrels. And um, it was just it was it was a full circle kind of experience. But for those of us who love the outdoors and who our context for that is doing it with our loved ones and good buddies. And then they're gone. It just takes on a totally different level of significance. 
It does. It does. I still, to this day, want to pick up my phone and call my dad. You know, something big happens, something exciting, or go away. I got a new piece of land. I, I literally pick it up and have to stop and be like, yeah. oh, you know, then it was my brother. Now, same thing. I got two people I can't call. Yeah. You know, so it's real stressful. And I still catch myself like, because you're excited in the moment, you forget about these things. Yeah. And I'm like, same. oh, that's right. You know, same. It really sucks. And, and, and it really does remind you on, on an ongoing basis to make the time for your daughters, make, make the time for the people who are important to you because you really don't know if you have another season or if they'll have another season. So just put off the busy stuff and do what's important. Yeah. This, this, uh, last spring, my daughter's, she just turned 11, but she was 10. You can't hunt in New York till you're 12. Um, so I made, you know, Jeremy Flynn, he, uh, no. he's, he's with uh, Hunter podcast. Actually, uh, I think Mark was on, on the podcast okay. this year. I think he was on their podcast. They're from Pennsylvania. And I, I made I heard him, went to the ATA show last year, met him. Um, and then he just bought a farm in Ohio that year, and he hasn't even hunted it. And he says, why don't you take your daughter there? Because oh, I told her, nice. you know, she's not old enough on New York. I'm like, okay. I brought her there, and she shot a, a, a huge tom with a <laughs> with that nice. new 410, that 410 turkey gun. It cool. was the best. I broke down like a little girl in the yeah. woods when she shot it, but it was it was amazing. And she she had my little brother's knife. She had his backpack. Cool. You know, she had some of my brother's gear, so it was cool. It was really so, cool. Jeremy, if if folks are maybe struggling and and want to reach out to you to gain some perspective, what's the best way for people to do that? Um, I'd say my email, uh, Jeremy at Yahoo. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes if uh, folks okay. want to get a hold thank of you. you. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Man, well, I, I can't thank you enough for your service, for your continued service, uh, for for listening to the show. We kind of feel like we have a uh, a merry <laughs> band of misfits that, that listen and watch on a regular basis. And it's fun to get to visit with you guys like this and, and, and put some faces to the people who are out there uh, consuming the content. Yeah. Cool. I really appreciate it. Such a, such a great opportunity. Um, it's like a, like a, you guys, I've from, I want to say it was like 89 or 90. Um, they came out with their, one of the first VA, VHSs. I want to say it was like King of Spring or yep. something like King that. Spring. And I watched that tape over and over. <laughs> and then they came out with mad turkey calls. And believe it or not, they were sold at our ro- local grocery store. Oh, sure. So I would, that's where I got the tape and the calls and, that's what was my big uh, turkey hunt got me in it so much was through them tapes. And then I have, I got boxes of jury outdoors, VHS tapes, boxes of them. Collectors. And DVDs. Now. Yeah. But, yep. Yeah. Incredible. Well, that, that's yeah, what started. A huge fan. That's what started it all. And we, uh, you know, we plan on continuing to, to, to be a positive influence in the hunting community, help hunters do what they do best and do it better. And, uh, so that, that's a big part of what DeerCast is. And so, we're glad to have you along yes. for the ride, buddy. I use it all the time. Cool. I love it. Cool. Glad to hear. All right, Jeremy, thanks for hopping on. I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, and if folks want to reach out, I'll include your email in the show notes. And then if you are interested in joining the podcast and being featured, go to the show notes and click the audition link and leave us a quick 30-second video explaining why you think you should be on the podcast. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. 
Matt will be in on the next episode. I should have mentioned at the top of the show that his daughter is sick today, so that's why he's not in. But he'll be on the next episode, no doubt. Okay, everyone, take it easy. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind check out to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.